right. So we made it to Mount Sinai. Woohoo! Here yeah, we are. Yeah. Um, this is, uh, I mean, the dead middle of the story of Exodus, where a lot of very foundational and important things uh, are going to happen at the foot of this mountain. Uh, there's also a scriptural pattern that we're going to see, which I never knew until I started to like really study and read it. Uh, <clears throat> every law or every instruction that is given to the people of Israel is given in the context of a story. So what we're going to see here is there's a story in 19, and then there's law given in 20. Then there'll be a story in 21 and 22, and then laws given in 23 and 24. And so like that's pretty much the pattern it follows for the rest of the book. So uh, law is going to be given, uh, or instruction is going to be given to the nation of Israel in the context of uh, story. It's always going to be bookended by that. Um, it's just another way that God is providing for his people. We've seen these big, amazing, uh, grand acts, and, uh, uh, and now we're going to see some instructions on what life looks like from here on out. Um, it's just a part of the story. So consider law the part of the story, not the, uh, not the crux of the story itself. Um, so, as, uh, hey, what's up, Scott? Um, <clears throat> so, uh, God has already been in a covenant relationship with Israel up to this point. Uh, that's one thing that we, we got to remember is that prior to, uh, prior to getting to Sinai, he's already been in relationship with them, but the terms haven't been defined yet. So uh, the youths would say it's time to define the relationship. We've got we to figure out what this is going to look like going, uh, going forward. Yeah, you can. They shake don't your say that anymore. They don't. Okay. Right, well. Been out of the game for a little while. So, uh, it's called. <laughs> yeah, young people used to say we got to define the relationship or have that have that important conversation. That's so cringe. Um, it's not really. Uh, up to this point, what's happened is God has said what He would do, and the people in turn uh, now have to uphold their end of uh, of the covenant. So. Uh, Haley, you want to read through uh, 19? I can't, I can't do both today. Yeah, what, what verses? Uh, just 19, go, uh, go down to verse uh, 14. Okay, so 1 to 14. Yeah. All right. the, Israelite, the Israelites arrived in the wilderness of Sinai exactly two months after they left Egypt. After breaking camp at Rephidim, they came to the base of Mount Sinai and set up camp there. Then Moses climbed the mountain to appear before God. The Lord called out to him from the mountain and said, Give these instructions to the descendants of Jacob, the people of Israel. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I brought you to myself and carried you on eagles' wings. Now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the nations of the earth. For all the earth belongs to me, and you will be to me a kingdom of priests, my holy nation. Give this message to the Israelites." Moses returned from the mountain and called together the leaders of the people and told them what the Lord had said. They all responded together, We will certainly do everything the Lord asked of us. So Moses brought the people's answer back to the Lord. Then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a thick cloud so the people themselves can hear me as I speak to you. Then they will always have confidence in you. Moses told the Lord what the people had said. Then the Lord told Moses, Go down and prepare the people for my visit. Purify them today and tomorrow, and have them wash their clothing. Be sure they are ready on the third day, for I will come down upon Mount Sinai as all the people watch. Set boundary lines that the people may not pass. Warn them, be careful, do not go up on the mountain, or even touch its boundaries. Those who do will certainly die. Any people or animals that cross the boundary must be stoned to death or shot with arrows. 
They must not be touched by human hands. The people must stay away from the mountain until they hear one long blast from the ram's horn. Then they must gather at the foot of the mountain. So Moses went down to the people. He purified them for worship and had them wash their clothing. All right. So, um, first, first impressions, first observations. Anything that stands out to you real quick. We're having a very different, different view of God here where he's starting to give some very explicit instructions. Last week when we talked about the <clears throat> turning the, hitting the rock for water and having other people go with you so that they can kind of witness back, it it's it kind of um, reminds me of that of, of God saying, and I'll even more solidify your mm-hmm. um, your power for what's the word um, authority, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, by telling them like, yeah. Here I am. This yeah. is who he's been talking to this whole time. Mm-hmm. And I'm here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll ask this question. Um, if you look at verse 4, um, what was Israel's motivation for um, committing to this covenant that God asked them to commit to? He's going to ask them um, th- to make a covenant with him, right? Um, what's their motivation here in verse 4? fact that they saw what he did prior to mm-hmm. with the Egyptians. Yeah, there's uh, that's some pretty strong motivation. You know, I mean, like, they, they watched what happened to the Israelites. And as we've talked about before, you know, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. Like, they, they're becoming very aware of this. Um, what is the requirement of the covenant? It's in verse 5. Yeah, obedience, good. Yeah, Um, but then what are the privileges that come with this? In verses 5 and 6, what are the privileges that come with obeying this covenant? Yeah, Um, he's really saying, like, if you just do what I ask you to do, like, it's yours. Like, I feel like we say this to our boys all the time. Like, if you'll just do what we ask you to do, like, you'll have so many more privileges, right? Like, if you'll, if you'll follow what we ask you to do, like, you're going to have so many more privileges. You're going to get so many more opportunities. Um, but when we fight and we don't want to do what we're being asked to do, like, there, there comes a time where you have to realize there are consequences to that, right? There are consequences when we don't follow um, the rules and follow what happens, Right. Um, and in verse 6 too it says you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation Um, so the priests were the people that were allowed access to God Um, not just uh, for the Israelites but in all of the ancient Near Eastern um, uh, different religions there were people that had access Mm -hmm. to go into the presence of God and those people were priests and what God is wanting out of this relationship with Israel is that they would all be holy and all follow these laws so that they could have that close of a relationship with God, that they would be a whole nation full of priests and people that um, have that special close relationship with God. Yep, something that's incredibly countercultural for the time, 
uh, as well. By the way, the word for obedience here, if you obey me fully, uh, he's not just talking about the Ten Commandments. That's an ongoing command. Whatever God says, if you'll stay faithful, if you will be obedient, then I promise you that these things uh, will happen. Um, it's just another part of this conditional covenant um, where God says, hey, I've already chosen you. That's already been done. Like, you've, you've done nothing to earn this, but in order to fully experience the promises that I have in store for you, obedience is the key to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, I would also say that this is going to be such um, a part of uh, the history of the Israelites as they go on that by the time we reach um, the time of the apostles, that they can actually use this passage here, this part of their history, um, to tie in um, their relationship with God through Christ. Um, if you if you have your Bible and you turn to First Peter two nine through ten, First Peter two nine through ten. Give everybody a moment. First Peter two nine through ten. Um, Peter is addressing both Jews and non-Jews in this book. Um, and he is going to be talking about like how they're supposed to live, and it goes on to talk about how they are aliens in a foreign land, and um, which is kind of very similar to what we're seeing here with the Israelites as they're traveling through um, on their way to Canaan. But in verses 9 through 10, it says, But you are not like that. So it's kind of talking about they stumble because they do not listen God's word or obey it, and so they meet the fate that has been planned for them. Verse 9, but you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are a kingdom of priests, God's holy nation, his very own possession. This is so you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Verse 10, once you were not a people, now you are the people of God. Once you received none of God's mercy, now you have received his mercy. So using this exact same language to express to the people um, of, of this, you know, hundreds of years later. Um, but they would have known this story. They would have known that God chose them and that Peter is trying to make that correlation here, that because you have chosen Christ, because of this relationship that you have, you are God's chosen people. You are his holy nation. They're also not officially a kingdom. They don't have a kingdom. They don't have lands. Uh, they... Uh, God is saying, this is what's going to happen in the future. I'm already calling you that because that's what's going to uh, to happen as well. So I'm sure some some of the people would have heard this and gone, uh, we're stuck in the wilderness. This is not a kingdom. This is the foot of a mountain. Nobody wants to stay here. So where is all of this stuff that you, uh, you know, you talk to, talk to us about? I actually really love Israel's <coughs> response. Um. I just feel like it's one of those that when you read it, you're like, mm-hmm, if you know the story, right, like, you know what's coming. Because they're like, we will certainly do everything the Lord has asked of us. And then you're like, famous last words. Right. Like, for about five minutes. Right, exactly. Because yep. in the blink of an eye, in a couple of chapters, we're going to be building a, you know, a golden altar and yeah. doing all the things, right? So it's, it's interesting how quickly things change. You just, when you read Second Peter, I think you, there were something about a royal priesthood. Mm-hmm. Um, what struck me as I read this was that it was it was and then I watched the movie mm-hmm. <laughs> part of the movie list was that uh, you know he goes up on the mountain uh, and hears from God then he goes down and tells them what he said and they said we'll do it then he goes back up and tells them they they said they're going to do it and, you know and you know as a priesthood you you don't have to go to him and tell mm-hmm. him to go to God yeah. you know it's between me and God yeah so that that was just like it could have saved a lot of trouble. Yeah, well, and we'll, we'll see in a minute too yeah. uh, a great example of uh, of that. Mm-hmm. Yes, 
Yep. Would anybody like to volunteer to be uh, the person who stands pretty close to the mountain with an arrow in hand, ready to stone somebody who gets or really close? Shoot somebody that sound with an like arrow. That sound like a great volunteer opportunity, right? Right? No. Not, I just think about, like, either. the children, right? Like, how did you get that through to the children? Like, you can't touch the boundary. Like, we were at Disney World, y'all. It's the worst. Like, Cavett was four. About to be five, yeah. So <laughs> we're at Disney World, and we're like, stop hanging on the rails. Stop. Don't get on the rails. Don't. We don't need to touch the rails. We don't need to hang on the rails. That's not what we need to do. It was a constant battle in every line that we went in to not hang on the rails. Like, And, of course, you're watching other kids, and they're doing it, and, and the parents are doing the exact same thing, and you're like, stop hanging on the rails. And I just think about these boundaries that have been set. You know somebody was going, do not touch. Listen, you will die. If you touch that right now, like, I'm not kidding. Yep. This is not, you know, a joke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I just think about how did you control the children? Just put them in the back. Right? You are not going to be close to the We're presence right. of God. We yep. need you in the back. Use <laughs> better back. They're just eating snacks in the back of the yeah. line. <laughs> yeah. Right? Uh, put yourself in, uh, in these people's shoes real quick before we move on. Uh, up to this point, up until, up until they gather at the mountain, what would have convinced you that God is real, that God is who he says he is? The Red Sea opening up would have been a, that would have been a little convincing for me. Pretty big, pretty big sign right there. Yeah. yeah. Pillar of fire. That's what I was right thinking. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's not like it's like a one-time thing. It's just been hanging out with them yeah. this whole time. the whole time. No fuel source, just <laughs> chilling. Mm-hmm. Um, destroying an entire nation. Mm-hmm. <coughs> yeah. Yeah, the Amalekites, yeah. yeah. Or Amaleks. Maybe watching the plagues from afar. Yeah. Just going, ooh, glad that's not happening to me. I mean, these people have, uh, they have a shared history for one thing. They're all descendants of Abraham. Uh, they have a shared identity, uh, a racial identity. <clears throat> They've had these binding events uh, all throughout the Exodus. They've had common struggles now with what do we eat, who do we follow, how do we survive. Uh, they've seen these signs and wonders. Uh, but for some of them, it still wasn't enough. Can you imagine that? Like, for some of them, having experienced all of that, it still wasn't enough, and they're like, ah, I'm not, I'm not really sure about this whole Yahweh thing. Like, well, let's just see what happens next, mm-hmm. right? Let's just wait for one more thing. Let's just wait for uh, the next, um, the next thing. Um, I mean, some of them are gonna are gonna get what they ask for and regret it here mm-hmm. in uh, in just a moment. So, do you want to okay. continue? Yeah, fifteen through yeah. the end. Uh huh. Right. He told them, "Get ready for an important event two days from now, and until then, same from having sexual intercourse." On the morning of the third day, there was a powerful thunder and lightning storm, and a dense cloud came down upon the mountain. There was a long, loud blast from a ram's horn, and all the people trembled. Moses led them out from the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. All Mount Sinai was covered with smoke, because the Lord had descended on it in the form of fire. The smoke billowed into the sky like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain shook with a violent earthquake. 
As the horn blast grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God thundered his reply for all to hear. The Lord came down on the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses climbed the mountain. Then the Lord told Moses, Go back down and warn the people not to cross the boundaries. They must not come up here to see the Lord, for those who do will die. Even the priests who regularly come near to the Lord must purify themselves, or I will destroy them. But Lord, the people cannot come up on the mountain, Moses protested. You already told them not to. You told me to set boundaries around the mountain and to, to declare it off limits. But the Lord said, go down anyway and bring Aaron back with you. In the meantime, do not let the priest or the people cross the boundaries to come up here. If they do, I will punish them. So Moses went down to the people and told them what the Lord had said. It means business, doesn't he? <clears throat> And I think this is just going to be a precursor to what happens when the ark comes along as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that, you know, we're serious about when God says, you're going to die if you do these things. He means it. Mm-hmm. Um, There's a great um, <clears throat> Bible project video that talks about the holiness of God. And it compares that holiness, um, uses the metaphor of the sun and um, how necessary the sun is for life. Plants need it to grow. We need it. Animals need it. Life on this earth would not exist without the sun, but when you get too close to the sun, it is dangerous mm-hmm. because of the power that it is. So um, there's, it, it's kind of comparing the holiness of God to this good thing, but also you can't presume to just waltz into the presence of God without having consecrated yourself and made yourself holy like the holy one that you were trying mm-hmm. to enter with. So um, that helps shape the context of these kinds of passages for me. Yep. If you ever thought you wanted to hear the voice of God over the next few chapters, uh, just watch the people's reaction. Watch what happens when they actually are even close enough to hear a thunder or a whisper or, uh, or whatever. I mean, it's terrifying. Terrifying uh, to, be in, to be in the presence of the actual voice of God. <clears throat> Excuse me. All right. I just think before we even get to the voice of God, like just the fact that like he descends in fire on a mountain and then there's an earthquake and all the people are just standing there like and this is happening like when we know of like an event like that, what would be our first response? Run, run away, like go and find a safe place to be. Right. And here they are. And they're like, OK, we're just going to hang out here. Like we're just going to stand here while this all happens. Like God didn't even need to speak. Before the people were trembling. That's what it talks about. Like before God even speaks, they're already afraid because of what they are witnessing. Yep. That's good. Okay, so now we're going to get the Ten Commandments uh, in, uh, in chapter 20. A <clears throat> couple things to um, uh, remember. Oh, do you want to read them first? Sure. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead and read them first. Really, most the, of us know. The whole chapter? Or just the... 20? Yeah. Uh, through verse... 17. Uh, Uh, Go to verse 21. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Then God instructed the people as follows. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from slavery in Egypt. Do not worship any other gods beside me. Do not make idols of any kind, whether in the shape of birds or animals or fish. You must never worship or bow down to them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not share your affection with any other God. I do not leave unpunished the sins of those who hate me, but I punish the children for the sins of their parents to the third and fourth generations. But I lavish my love on those who love me and obey my commands, even for a thousand generations. Do not misuse the name of the Lord for your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. 
Remember to observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days a week are set apart for your daily duties and regular work, but the seventh day is a day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any kind of work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. Then he rested on the seventh day. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. Honor your father and mother. Then you will live a long, full life in the land the Lord your God will give you. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not testify false, falsely against your neighbor. Do not cover, covet your neighbor's house. Do not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else your neighbor owns. When the people heard the thunder and the loud blast of the horn, and when they saw the lightning and the smoke billowing from the mountain, they stood at a distance, trembling with fear. And they said to Moses, You tell us what God says, and we will listen. But don't let God speak to us directly. If he does, we will die. Don't be afraid, Moses said, for God has come in this way to show you his awesome power. From now on, let your fear of him keep you from sinning. As the people stood in the distance, Moses entered into the deep darkness where God was. All right. So we got the, the rules of the covenant, if you, if you will, uh, or the terms of the covenant, rather. Let's go, let's go with that. Um, <clears throat> so one thing to remember is that the law, this law is meant to open up life and not restrict it. God is actually trying to teach them a way to live more fully not live less. And I think that's so, uh, so counterintuitive to what we know in our culture because we want boundaries and we want clear black and white yes and no uh, so that we know what the box is like. One of the things you're going to see uh, as we, as we kind of go through each of these is that uh, eight of these are given in the negative, but it also implies the positive. Like when God says, don't do this, he's also saying, do these things. Do the opposite of this uh, as well. So um, <clears throat> what do you remember from... Uh, like VBS or a sermon or anything that you've heard about the Ten Commandments, something that's uh, maybe been uh, explained to you in a different way that you didn't know before. I know one thing that I, I remembered when I, when I read through this is God has not written these down yet. These are not on the tablets. These have just been spoken. Mm-hmm. We have not even gotten to that part, of the, that part of the story yet where God's you know, writing on the actual tablets. Well, I think another thing you said at the beginning of class is really important. You don't have the story of Exodus and then law. The law is woven within the story. Um, even the, the rules about the, the feast of the Passover being right in the middle of the Passover story. And then you have this, you can't separate the law from what has happened in the narrative. Um, it is because of the narrative that we have this law, and that the law will then continue to shape the narrative. Uh, and so I think that's really important to remember as well. Um, I wanted to point out something that I was reading just from a history perspective, is it talks about the Mosaic Covenant, so the, the laws that are about to be given, the Ten Commandments. It actually follows the standard pattern of sovereign vassal treaties um, that were common in the Middle East. So um, a vassal is someone who is, they pledge their loyalty, 
right? So like a lord and a knight or a, lord, a king and a noble, right? And so what we're looking at here is normally with these covenants, these vassal covenants, there's a pattern that they follow. So the first part is introduction of who the sovereign royal is. Well, it starts out and he says, I am the Lord your God. He introduces himself. And then the next part is this historical prologue. So like what's the relationship between the two parties involved? So if it was a king and a noble, it would be like, well, our families have gone back for generations and you saved me in battle and da 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 da. And they would go on and on and on. And he says in um, verse 2, it says, who rescued you from slavery in Egypt? So he's making that connection between what is their relationship. I am the Lord your God and I rescued you. You are my rescued people. <clears throat> and then three is like this general requirements of, the, of this agreement, of this covenant that they're going to make between them. And then the fourth part is these specific requirements. So this is a pattern that they would have been familiar with in terms of understanding kind of the historical significance of a lord and his vassal. So they would have re- they would have understood this from that perspective. Anybody else? We we also talked um, a couple weeks ago about a shift that has happened in the narrative from this point. So early on in the story, what we're hearing is a story of who God is, mm-hmm. um, especially um, contrasted to who the gods of Egypt are, um, and then now. We're still working with that question, but we've added another question, which is, and who will you be, Israel, in relation to God? And so this is helping form um, who they will be as a people. And so the first three laws um, are about their relationship with God. Mm -hmm. Um, The fourth law um, is a combination of their relationship with God and their relationship with each other. And then um, laws 5 through 10 are their relationship with one another. And Mm -hmm. so this law is uh, the set of laws is reminding us that how we treat one another is a direct relationship with our mm-hmm. relationship with God and what God has done for us. Yeah, mm-hmm. and of course Jesus reiterates yes. that later on. Right. I, would just, I would just remind us to think about because those of us who know the story know what's happening even as these are being received and I don't mean again, hopefully, but that at this moment, God knows. Moses doesn't know. God knows and yet he goes ahead with it and it's the when we think about the intent behind the law, what's the purpose? What is the, like, he's setting up just how long suffering he is going to be by displaying, mm-hmm. this is who I've made you to be. I know we're not going to get there. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, right. The spoiler yeah. alert is yeah. there's there's these two sides of the covenant, and the parties have to agree to yeah. it. And if one of them breaks the covenant, the, the covenant relationship is broken. Yeah. And God says over and over and over again, I'm going to hold up my side yeah, of the covenant, okay. even though you can't do it. Yeah. Um, I think one of the uh, kind of the great practices that I did in going through the Ten Commandments was kind of figuring out what does God value with each one of these. Um, so what does he value? Like when he says, you know, have no other gods before him, what do you think it is that he values in that statement? Proper recognition and reverence uh, for who he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I said loyalty. That was my first um, reverence is also right there. Um, I, I, I always thought that it is he wants to be. Mm-hmm. He really wants because if you really know him, how could you choose anything else? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like really see me. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I was just thinking. Like he wants to be seen, mm-hmm. right? And I think we all want that. Like we all want to be seen and to be held in in a place of honor, especially with those who say that they love us, right? Um, then what about uh, don't make carved images? What do you think he values? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, I, there's, you know, of course in rabbinic text, there's dozens and dozens of ways to interpret these things, but the two that really stand out to me are, are one, you can control a God that you can make, um, and so if there are images of it, you can control <coughs> that God, and God, <coughs> Yahweh God cannot be controlled. And then also God tells us in Genesis that God has already created images of God, and that is in me and in you and in every person we encounter. Uh, and so there does not need to be images of God um, lest we treat that metal or um, jeweled or wooden thing as holy when we should be treating the people around us mm-hmm. as though they were divine images of God. Yeah. I keep going back to that word holiness being set apart, that <clears throat> God is setting the nation of Israel apart from every other nation uh, in saying, hey, everybody else has got a lot of gods. I'm the only one. Everybody else has idols. You're not going to have those. And so when we go down through here, we're seeing uh, God really setting up that, uh, that separate nation that when they uh, encounter other nations, they're going to say, well, why do you guys do that? And they're going to say, well, because our God is the one true God, and this is what he's done for us, and it's different than what you've seen. And so it's a, it's, it's a way for them to have a testimony to the rest of the world uh, about why they're different, because God has set up these things so that they uh, so that they will be different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have a question slash thought. I'm kind of doing a Bible study with some people. We've gone through some of this recently, and what's interesting, I guess, is like they don't have this text, right? Like mm-hmm. no one's been able to like read Genesis and stuff yet. So, part, like I was kind of wondering, like all these other people have these other gods that they've kind of came up with. Yep. And I'm one, I guess, wondering why and how. But like part of me is like, hey, they don't have this. I mean, is it just like? wow, this rain is really cool. Something bigger than me has to create this. Mm-hmm. Um, or I don't know. So that was kind of my thought. But then it's like, so how do you, I don't know. It's just interesting that it's like, they don't have these stories. And, you know, so it's like, well, it makes sense that, like, this has to be something bigger than me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not really. Just a thought. They, yeah. they would have had the stories, mm-hmm. though, in some way, because um, God says, I'm the, the God of your fathers, I'm the God of Jacob and Abraham. So there would have been an oral tradition Moses would have been familiar with who those patriarchs were, um, and the and the stories that went along with them, and, and the fact that God had called them into uh, called Abraham into a covenant relationship with but them. But I'm thinking like all these other nations who are creating these. Have oh, they I see. Any? I see. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. like, <laughs> that's like, right. It's kind of like oh well, you know, we were lucky enough to be. Brought, I mean, like me, I was lucky enough hearing the story of God growing up. Like I was hearing another story. Yeah. How how difficult is it to then be like? That one sounds better than what I grew up. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. I just I keep thinking of like the Native Americans, yeah. the indigenous mm-hmm. cultures, yep. with the totem poles and the images, and yep. the, the uh, you know Indian uh, you know gods and different things like that. It's I mean this is revolutionary. Yeah. Compared to what they're mm-hmm. used to. Yeah. We see that play out in the New Testament when Paul shows up, uh, and there's a, a idol to the unknown god, and Paul goes, I know who that is. And actually, all these other ones need to go away because this is the one that matters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think you can see the eternal wisdom of God in that commandment. Because all these things, like the totem poles and like the things in Egypt that have been created, to, to remind people of whatever God they had are in ruins. Mm-hmm. And, and they aren't still intact, most of them. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, I think God is telling them. There's nothing in the mind of man that you can imagine that will do my greatness justice. Yep. So just don't do it. 
Yeah, it's a great point. Okay, so uh, no other gods, no idols, and then we get this one that I think has been uh, misinterpreted every now and then uh, to try to keep you from saying certain mm-hmm. things in certain homes and all of that, which has some merit. I will, I will give that. Uh, but I think <clears throat> the, the deeper that we look at this when it says, don't misuse the name of the Lord, mm-hmm. uh, one way to interpret that and the one that I've seen more prevailing is don't call things gods that aren't his. Don't say, this was God's will just because you're trying to get your way. Yeah. Don't say, I'm doing this in God's name, even though you're the one who's, who's doing it to try to justify your actions uh, or whatnot. And then you also have to look at the, the inverse of that and say, positively, we're supposed to give God's name the praise and the honor and the glory and the reverence that it is due. And so it's, uh, it's a both and thing. All, all the rest of these are going to be the both and, where if we're not doing these things, then we should be doing uh, these other things. But when it says, you know, don't misuse the name of the Lord, don't try to do things in God's name yeah. just for the sake of doing them. I think, to try to justify your own actions. Uh, we can, I mean, just the pattern of history, <clears throat> like you can kind of watch. Um, if, you, if you go to, um, the French thinker Voltaire kind of points this out, and he kind of says, like, you know, man, like, Christians shouldn't be fighting Christians. Like, he's living during this time in, in France where uh, the Protestants and the Catholics are just killing each other in, in masses. And he's like, there's something wrong about this. Like, when I read scripture, there's something wrong where brother fights brother when you both agree that you believe in the same God and what you're disagreeing over is how do you practice that belief? Right, and that you're willing to fight each other and go to war over that, and so that, and and you're doing it all in the name of God, right? And you're saying that there is a justification when God clearly says, "Do not murder," you know, like, and and love your brother, love God, love others, live in peace with one another. Um, and so I think we can kind of look at that and say, like, are there times when people have done things under the guise of "I did this in the name of the Lord" when maybe it really wasn't what God would have called them to do? Um, and I think that that's been a realization as I've become an adult. Like, I think it's an easy way to explain to kids, like, what that means. Like, don't take the Lord's name in vain. And you're like, don't, don't say that. Don't say, oh, my, you know. And, and there is some validity to that, to hold God's name sacred. But I also think as an adult, like, I've really had to wrestle with how have people used God and used his name and his will to kind of get their own way, to almost use it as a power play rather than to actually carry out the will of God. This may or may not be related to the direction we've gone, but back in verse 5, there's something there that seems offensive to human thinking. Uh, if my great-great-grandfather did something wrong, I'm going to be punished. For right. Uh, and I wonder yep. if, you know, in your studies and commentaries, is there some explanation about what that means or why it's fair to our, you know, mentality as mm-hmm. humans? So you you have to consider at this time families were not living in nuclear family units with the mom and dad and their um, you know 1.68 kids. Um, <laughs> these would have been generational households, and so if the head of the house, who was kind of the one that was responsible for setting the, the religious tone of the house, was worshiping idols, then children and grandchildren and great grandchildren would have been seeing this. And so um, it's a reminder that um, there is no sin that only impacts you. All sin has implications for yeah. other people. It's communal. Um, and so it's just a reminder, you know, we, we all know um, the impacts of having a parent who was abusive or who was an alcoholic, what that does to later generations, even the third and fourth generation. 
Um, and, you know, I can read this and other people read this and it's easy to, to see that and see that's not fair, but it's equally not fair to show love to a thousand generations. <laughs> like that, it's exponentially better and also not fair. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And I think the, the term jealous is, we get it all mixed up in our minds what that is. You can only be jealous over something that belongs to you. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you're envious of what others have. Mm-hmm. What he's talking about is his covenant relationship with everyone, and the great-grandfather has damaged the relationship with all of them. Right. And, and mm-hmm. so, yeah, I think it's interesting. There's probably also not 20, 30, 40 years in between, right. um, you know, dad, mom, kids, grandkids, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we're talking about maybe 13 to 15 years, and yeah. so you do have multiple generations maybe up to five, who are all living in the same uh, community or tent or mm-hmm. whatever else. And so, um, you know, to Becky's point, like, it's it's not just affecting, like, our four people who live in our house, right? It's affecting everybody who is who is connected to mm-hmm. us because it is a it is a more communal uh, yeah. way of living. I mean, you'll see this play out later on in, in later <coughs> stories in the Old Testament where, um, you know, one person in the family sins and then God commands the entire family to be killed, you know, like almost kind of a way to just rip out the root um, from the people. Yeah. And that was a very specific command and the consequences of that were very specific, I think. Yep. But if, if you as a, a, a family leader worshipped another god, the consequences of that would be felt for generations. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, that it would take more generations for those children to be in line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's important to recognize the positive side of that as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Most of us have been very blessed with parent, uh, parents, grandparents, great-grandparents that are people of faith. Mm-hmm. So um, that's important. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. In our individualistic society, we can easily think, well, that's just between me and God, but Scripture is very clear that there is no sin that doesn't have um, relational and communal consequences. And the same is true for for the good as well, the the good that we put into the world, uh, into our families, into our uh, friendship relationships. Those can carry on for a thousand generations. I think about this a lot. So um, just to kind of reveal part of my story, so I'm adopted. Um, so, um, I was adopted as an infant, um, and I think oftentimes about what my life would have looked like if that had not been the plan for me. Like, if my mom and dad, who are very spiritual and raised me in a Christian home, um, what would my life have looked like? You know, and I, I had the, you know, um, the opportunity last year to find out who my biological parents are. I haven't met them yet, but I found out who they are, and... Um, I know some things about them and just kind of the path that their lives took is very different than how I was raised. And then I think about like I'm we're raising our boys in, in a Christian household and knowing God and, and teaching those things and passing that on and how different that would be if that had not been the trajectory. So when we talk about generations, like I, I feel that very deeply because I think about the differences of would I have even been raised in a Christian household and what choices would I have made that were different than the choices that I've made? Would I have married someone who is a Christian and went into ministry for 10 years and followed that path? You know, like, we, it's, it's one of those that you really see and you think about. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to go over the Sabbath, uh, you know, with, 
with any kind of like quickness, but um, I do want to get to a couple of these other ones. Um, so another countercultural thing, take a day off. Nobody's taking a day off in this, in this day and age. Uh, but if you see the detail of this one, your servants, your, uh, your livestock, like it's everybody is chilling. Everybody is taking a day off. So uh, good luck trying to make that happen in your household. Yeah. Uh, I feel like we treat Saturday and Sunday as like our day to do all the things around the house yeah. that we don't get to, you know, laundry, yep. clean the house meal prep do whatever it is you know and i mean as achievers too like this is a uh this isn't a a society where they just have things stockpiled all the time it's a habit that they're going to have to learn because families have to be provided for Mm -hmm. and uh the you know the husband the father uh the leaders of the household have to be very conscious of how am i going to make sure we can take this day off Mm -hmm. uh so it's it's a doubly important thing uh and one of the more difficult commandments to um uh to follow uh, then we get to this uh, this one, which uh, you know some people have read uh, read verse twelve and said, uh, "Why is this one here? Mm-hmm. Why is honor your father and mother the very first one that uh, that we come to when it comes to the um, uh, you know the terms of how you interact with other people?" There's two reasons for that. Number one, uh, notice notice that it says honor your father and mother. Period. There is no there is no hierarchy. There's no father over mother. You know anything like that? It's a very patriarchal society. This would have been so strange for them to hear be like wait both of them get get honor yeah that's a it's a big deal uh to god <clears throat> number two god is saying that the family is so foundational to my kingdom and the way that i've established things the family the family is the main we see this um in uh you know deuteronomy 6 where it says um you know uh talk about these things in your homes uh you know the family is the main source of faith transference and um uh, the way that things are passed down generationally. So uh, God is saying the family is going to be the foundation for everything that I want to accomplish here. Um, you know, God even calls himself uh, father in Israel, there's children. Same, uh, same thing here, father, mother, children. There's an earthly structure that mimics, uh, you know, the spiritual or the heavenly structure uh, as well. Uh, the other piece of this is it's not just while you're being raised, it's for your entire life. Honor your father and mother always, period. Uh, when they're old and they can't take care of themselves, you help take care of them. Uh, heed their wisdom, uh, bring them into your home, continue to uh, have them uh, as part of your, uh, your story. It's, it's incredibly, incredibly important. Yes? Cool? Great. Call your mom and dad today. Uh, <laughs> or call your kids and say, hey, you better call me more often. Um, <laughs> We, we do also, I think sometimes this verse has been misused mm-hmm. by people that want to have control over their children. Yeah. Uh, so yes. we also remember that Jesus uh, reminds people that they should be honoring their father and mother, but he also says, who, who are my mother and brothers? Mm-hmm. Um, anyone who follows me. And, and, you know, a lot of times in for new Christians, they would have lost their families. When mm-hmm. they became Christians, they would have been um, yeah. you know, removed from those families and, and yep. um, the Christian community surrounded them. And so Jesus reminds us that our ultimate allegiance is to God, not yeah. to yeah. father and mother. And, and the honoring is honoring the, the word of God that's being passed down through them. Yeah. Um, and we also know that that doesn't always exist in every family. So. Yeah. This is a gate, by the way, uh, for the rest of the commandments. That if you're, if you're following that, Everything else makes sense if you're supposed to be taking care of your family and other people's families, mm-hmm. right? So, for example, number six, don't murder. That's very different than don't kill because we were, we're still going to see war and sacrifice and sometimes even punishment 
provision when uh, when you need meat and um, uh, you know sustenance and those sorts of things. Totally different than murder. Uh, when you look at the word murder, we're talking about don't don't end somebody because you're mad at them, right? <clears throat> the positive version of that is make sure you're taking care of your neighbor. Make sure you're looking out for one another. Make sure that you are uh, you are looking at that family and saying, how can I make sure that they are taken care of as well, right? I think you can kind of summarize the, really the last several in that way. Yep. Like if you're thinking about other people, then you're not going to do these things. Like I'm not going to steal from someone if I'm thinking about their well-being, right? I'm not going to... Um, give false testimony against someone if I am seeing them through the lens of this is a holy set apart person. Yep. Same with like don't have an affair. Uh, take care of your own family and take care of other people's families. Mm-hmm. Right. That's a foundational thing. Uh, don't steal. Stealing is uh, you know every everything was an extension of the family. So uh, a cow, a sheep, a goat, all part of a family. It's also a part of livelihood. So don't take somebody else's livelihood. Look out for each other. If you see a goat wandering around, find out who it belongs to and take them back. Um, so, again, very, very foundational. If you look at everything through the lens of protecting the family or protecting the community, these tend to make a little bit more sense. Uh, <clears throat> number nine, don't lie, don't give false testimony. It both protects the integrity of the individual and reverence for uh, one another. So uh, I want to make sure, again, that I'm watching out for somebody else, that I'm not trying to deceive, I'm not trying to manipulate, I'm not trying to get my way at the expense of uh, somebody else. And then the last one, uh, and number 10, is, is just a little bit different uh, where, you know, we see, we see don't covet. This is really an internal thing. You know, Jesus will later talk about the motivations of the heart. Uh, like if you look at somebody in anger, you've already committed murder in your heart, those sorts of things. Um, but this is the one that's not external at all. It requires the nation of Israel to look internally uh, and say, what is my attitude? Am I being content? Uh, and God is really setting that up here and saying contentment will actually prevent you from doing all the rest of these things. And so while it is the last, I think it is also one of the most important ones uh, because, uh, because when you are content with what you have, if you are taking care and stewarding uh, the things that God has given you, then the rest is going to fall into place. I think that's it yep. for today. Yeah, yep. thanks for being here. See you next week. Next week? Nope, not next no, week. No, 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 no. <laughs> two weeks. Yeah, no class next week. Thank you. Thank you very much.